All right, good morning. How you guys doing? Good. Let's pray and then we'll get into it. Father, we just thank you, God. We thank you as that we come before you as we um, open your word, God, that you, you reveal to us your, your heart and your character. And we just thank you that as we um, start to explore that, God, that we are changed and that you just work in us and create in us a new heart, a new um, spirit, God. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. You guys ever um, cleaned your house? Just asking. No? Okay. So, okay. Some of you love it, and Sarah loves it, and Jade thinks it's torture. Um, yeah. But um, you guys ever cleaned your house, and then, like, a day later, you go back, and you're like, I just cleaned that. Like, there, yeah, it's, it's like, um, you know, if you have little kids or if you leave your windows open and, you know, 12 inches of pollen land on your, you know, as soon as you open the window. Um, and you're like, wait a minute, I was just here, just cleaned this, and I didn't see this, didn't know why is there all this dust, you know. Like you walk out to your car and your car's just like this nice little yellow tint and you're like, I just washed it yesterday. And then, the, you know, the trees decide to open up and uh, dump all the pollen on it and... And, you know, it's like, oh, it's, I didn't realize that. Or you go to a place in the house that you really don't go that often. And you're like, oh, wow, I really need to dust this or I need to clean this or I need to, you know, tidy up or whatever. And you're like, but you don't recognize it until you look at it, until you start to examine it. You know, I, I was a kid, we're not going to get into a whole lot of that detail because that's not really a lot of fun. But um, I used to do the, uh, the dust test. We had to dust and then you'd go by and the parent would go like this and on the dust test. And I'm like... I'm never doing that with my kids. I'm like, here's a duster. Good luck. If you don't do it, you don't do it. If you do it, you do. Um, but you all of a sudden see something that you didn't realize was there or wasn't there a couple of days before. And I think uh, a lot of times in our lives, we're that way with Jesus. We're a lot that way with um, our walk with God. You know, when we first surrender our lives to Christ and we give our life to Christ, say, you know, I'm going to make you number one in my life. I'm going to submit myself to you, do what you tell me to do, say what you tell me to say. Um, when we surrender ourselves for the first time, our belief is new, our faith is new, our excitement is new, and we're amazed by him. Everything God does, oh my gosh, you know, you tell, you tell everybody about the, the, the littlest thing that God did for you. And I think... Um, because it's, it's like little kid, look, I did this. Look, I did this. It's like we go and we tell people about the cool new things. You know, a kid gets a new, new toy or something. They come in and they show everybody and, the, you know, whether you want to be seen or not. And then they, you know, and they're showing you everything that they've gotten. But our relationship with him, our faith in him, um, we're amazed by what he does. But I think as we grow older, we become accustomed to him. You know, you know what I'm talking about? We, it, you know, you get married, it's fresh, it's new, and then, you know, 10 years later, you're like, quit snoring, <clears throat> and elbowing. <laughs> I am not going to point out who just looked at their spouses. I'm just, I'm not going to say anything on that. Um, anyway, um, you know, we're amazed by him at first, and then we grow accustomed to him. And it's not a bad thing to grow accustomed to Jesus. We need to be accustomed to him. We need to know who he is, what he does, how he functions, how he says things. And what happens is, is we become so accustomed to him that we become calloused, weathered, hardened to what he does. And I'm not saying we, we don't like what he does or we dislike anything that he does, but we become so, um, yeah, comfortable to it that we don't recognize some of the things and acknowledge what he does in our life. You guys tracking with me? Okay, good. But, you know, I, I was thinking about this, and, and I was talking to God. I'm like, okay, so we become accustomed to you. We become so used to you being there that we neglect sometimes, we, and we forget about what he's doing. We get so used to him providing for us, our needs being met, our our wants being taken care of, our, our um, hearts being taken care of, that we forget about who he is. And if you guys turn to Psalm 3 for me. Actually, turn to Psalm 4, and then we'll go to 3. 
So this is David, and we're going to go in reverse, because I want to I play it this, this way. We're going to do a little backwards-forwards thing. Um, so this is David, and the, the title of Psalm 4 is The Evening Prayer of Trust in God. And he says this, Answer me, God, when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have freed me when I was hemmed in and relieved me when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear and respond to my prayer. The sons of men, how long will you honor and glorify and glory be turned to shame? How long will my enemies love worthless, vain, futile things and seek deception and lies? But know the Lord has set me apart for himself. The Lord hears and responds to me when I call. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and still reflect. Offer righteous sacrifices. Trust in the Lord. Many may say, Oh, that we might see some good. Lift up, your, lift up the light of your face to us, O Lord. You will put my heart in joy more than others may know when their wheat and new wine have yielded abundantly. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety and confident trust. I like what he says. He goes, you have put my heart in joy more than others know when their wheat and new wine are yielding abundantly. He's like, my heart is in a state of joy with you the same way when people get their wine and their harvest. He goes, my life is that way. And I think sometimes we forget about that. And this is David um, writing out a prayer and talking to God in this moment. And I think sometimes we we go to God, we spend that time with him. I, I think uh, many times in our life, prayers are um, more wants than anything else. It's, Lord, I'm going to you because I need this. And what happens is this, is as Christians, if we continue to, to go to him like that, we become the movie prayers. You guys know what they are. You know, hey God, this is blah, blah, blah. I haven't talked to you in a while. I'm not really a praying person. You guys have seen those movies, right? The TV shows where they pray and, you know, if you guys ever watch soap operas, how many, no, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hands. Um, you know, when they have to, <laughs> Jordan, um, Jordan's watching Days of Our Lives or is it As the World Turns? I'm sorry. Okay. Um, but it's, it's, those, it's those melodramatic prayers in the movies and the TV shows where it's, all about what I need and I want at that moment. It's, oh, crap hit the fan. Yes, we can say that in church. Um, And I need something from you. So I'm going to reintroduce myself to you. Hey, this is like he forgot who you were. He's God. And then I'm going to tell you what is going on in my life. And I'm going to explain to you and try to bargain with you to receive something from you that... I really want from you, even though we don't have a conversation on a daily basis, we don't have a relationship. And, but David goes to God and he goes to him on a regular basis. He's talking to God. If you look through the Psalms, these are, these are moments in David's life where he's like, have you forsaken me? Why have you given up on me? He, he has doubts. David has doubts because he is human. We, we talk about, you know, these people in the Bible, like they're, you know, they had that one moment of doubt that was really profound in Scripture, and then the rest of their life they never had doubt. And it's not that way. They're human. There's no difference between us and them except for, you know, a few thousand years. They're still human. They still had their doubts in God that he was going to do what he said they were going to do. But I love how David goes back we go back into three, he says this. This is the morning prayer of trust in God. And he says, O Lord, my enemies have increased. Many Many are rising against me. Many are saying to me, there is no help or salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are my shield, my glory, my honor, the one who lifts my head. With my voice, I was crying to the Lord, and he answered me from this holy mountain. I lay down and slept in safety. I awakened, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be intimidated or afraid of the ten thousands who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered their te- the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessings be upon your people. And that's the Amplified Version. So whatever you're reading might be a little bit different, but this is the Amplified. I love how David, the prayers are different. 
the morning prayer is, he's answered me. The evening prayer is, answer my cry, O God. David in, in, the, in the evening prayer saying, I need a shield. In the morning, he's like, you let me rest. And you were my shield when I rested. And I think a lot of times in life, we tend to forget about the presence of God in our life. We forget to recognize the presence of God, the acknowledged presence of God in our life when the things are going well. But we search out and we cry out for the presence of God when things are going badly. Oh, Lord, I need you to sustain me. Look at, if you look at David, David's like, sustain me, oh God, I need this, you know, throughout Scripture. He's like, I need you, I need you, I need you. He's crying out to God. And then there's moments where he's like, why have you abandoned me? And I think those are okay to have, those thoughts. We know they're not true, but they're okay to have that. We just can't live our lives in that. It's sometimes we feel like, God, why weren't you there when this happened? Or... God, why didn't you show up when this happened? And it's okay to have those, those moments of questioning him. I think he's okay with you questioning him because he's never failed. So he's not like, well, yeah, you caught me on that one. Doggone it, you got me. No, he, he looks at us and says, you know what? It's okay. You're going to have doubt. You're going to have unbelief at those moments. That's when he comes in, and when we, if we allow him to, he comes in and reassures us. He says, you know, I know you struggled. I know you went through trial, through temptation. You went through pain and suffering, but I'm still here. You may have, you may have said, oh, why did you leave me here? Because I didn't leave you here. What did Jesus say? I'll never leave you or forsake you. So God is not letting you go through those and abandoning you. Oh, he's like, oh, trouble came. I can't be in trouble. I'm God. I'm too good for that. And just leaves you to yourself. Think about Job. He didn't leave Job to himself. He was with Job. And, and while Job was going through struggle and pretty much anything you could think of on earth, God was still with him. Even his friends, his wife were like, just curse God and die. It'll be okay, you know. And... Um, when you look at your wife as Job and go, get behind me, Satan. Um, but Lamentations is a great book. Um, we're going to turn there just for a moment. It's Lamentations um, 3. We're going to start in verse 19. The title above that one is The Hope of Relief in God's Mercy. So verse 19 says this, says, Remember, O Lord, my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the gall, the bitterness, which is bitterness. My soul continually remembers them and bowed down within me. But I call this to mind, therefore I have a hope. It is because the Lord's loving kindness that we are not consumed because of his tender compassion, he never fails. They are new every morning, great and beyond measure is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion and my inheritance, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him and wait expectantly for him. Lord, the Lord is good to those who wait confidently for him, to those who seek him on the authority of God's word. It is good that one waits quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And so we look, at, we look at Lamentations, and this is Jeremiah writing this. And if you've ever read the book of Jeremiah, he's an emotional basket case, and um, he um, doesn't have his head screwed on right a lot of the times, and then he's like, God is good, and then he's like, oh, woe is me, you know, the sky is falling. He's like, he's like a chicken little prophet where he's like, life is good, life is bad, um, you know, and he, he struggles with his relationship with God, seeing what is going on. He sees what God is doing. He's like, why are you having me see this, me do this, me go through this? And God's like, I have a plan for this. And we know, I was looking at that and it says, it says his mercies are new every morning. It says great is his faithfulness. There, you know how many songs have been written about this passage right here, these four or five verses, the songs that have been written out of this. 
I was reading this last night and I started to go through that. And I'm like, just thinking of the ones that I knew. Great is your faithfulness. Every morning. Um, and I was just, I was going through the songs and I was, I was like reminding myself of what was written in this scripture and the songs that were taken from this scripture. And when we stop to, and start to think on and dwell on and examine who God is, we'll start to remember what we were destined for, what we were designed for. I think sometimes when we don't have those moments of self-examination, we forget who we were created for and designed for. We weren't created for anything but to bring glory to God. We, Adam and Eve were designed to bring glory to God. They were designed to be a friend of God. They were designed for companionship with God. And when we start to look back and we start to examine our relationship with God and who He is, we'll start to remember where and when He intervened in our futures. When He intervened in our lives and changed who we are. When we look back and say, okay, man, this is when God intervened in my life. He stepped in and put His foot down in my life and everything changed in my life. Does that make sense? When we start to examine that, we're going to start to look back and say, this is when God saved me from this. Even before you may have known him, he may, you may be like, man, I don't know what happened when that happened, but that was God stepping in and saving me and keeping me alive for the, a, a longer life and a better future. And so when we look at his... Um, we look at his character, when we examine that character, it's hard not to stand there and think in, in awe of who he is. I think so many times we, we've lost that awe of who God is. We just think of him as off in space and he's there and he's going to take us to heaven if we've accepted him and we're going to, you know, but we lose that awe of who he is. We lose that, that like, oh my gosh, look how amazing he is. Even the baffles agree. <sighs> okay. But when we start to look at who Jesus was, he intervened in our future for our past. Think about this. Before we were born, Jesus died on the cross for us so our futures could be secure. Our futures could be solidified that we were found in him. So when God looked at us, he saw Christ Jesus. And so there's a, um, there's a couple other um, songs that I was going through, and I was, I was reading these, and um, th these come from the Psalms, the, the, the third and fourth Psalm. And th this one was a hymn that was written in pre-Civil War. It was sung by African-American slaves um, as an expression of hope. It was... Um, they knew God was their only source of healing and freedom because they were enslaved. They had no freedom except for Jesus Christ. They knew that he was their healing, their restoration, and he expresses a steadfast faith in watching brothers and sisters in Christ having that, that belief that in spite of suffering, in spite of slavery, in spite of um, oppression, God never failed, he never faltered, and their trust was in him. And it's, an, it's a song that was written in 1846, and it says, In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. When I am alone, give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And when we start to examine who God is, nothing else matters. The, 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 the fun things, the trivial things, the painful things in this world, they fade and you say, you know what, give me Jesus. But Jeremiah calls these things to mind because he has hope. He says, this is my hope. I'm going to read that scripture again for you. 
The Lord is my portion and my inheritance. Therefore, I have hope in him and wait expectantly for him. Think about this. The children of Israel, they were waiting for someone to release them from, from bondage. The um, Israelites were waiting for someone to free them from the Romans. They had a hope and an expectancy that, they were going, that someone was going to come and free them. It wasn't always the way they expected it, but it was there. But Jeremiah is saying, I have a hope that when I can, I can recall God's goodness, I can recall who he is, and when I recall who he is, I'm reminded of who he is. And I have a hope in that. I, his, his hope is solidified. His trust is, is solidified and anchored to Christ Jesus. Even though he, Christ Jesus wasn't there, he, the, the Savior of the world, he was, he was solidifying his hope in the Savior of the world. You know, when we start to d- wipe the dust off our relationship and, re- and really examine who he is, I don't think that we can, I don't believe that we can in all truth, not be overwhelmed by who Jesus is if we really examine who he is and really look at our relationship with him. We can't just look at Jesus and say, oh yeah, it's just Jesus. There has to be some heartstring pulled in us when we start to think about Jesus. If we are so callous that we think, oh, that's Jesus. Yeah, he saved saved me from hell and um, and he, he saved my soul. If that is the only response you have, we need to we need to maybe take the power wash off and, and start to power wash off our hearts and say, "Am I becoming so callous to His presence and who He is that I don't even have emotion in my conversation with Him or thinking about Him?" I don't think we can think of Jesus and what He's done for us without having some emotional response to it. I'm not saying our emotions are, are supposed to be the number one thing, but we can't think, okay, Jesus did this for me, and I have no emotion. I'm just blank and dead inside for it. Sometimes my wife says, you need to have emotion. And I'm like, okay, tell me when and how and what kind of. <laughs> but yeah, she tells me to smile. And then I smile, and she goes, you got to keep smiling. So, um Apparently, it makes people think that I'm not going to rob them when I go up to them and go to, you know. So, for anybody who's ever thought I was going to rob them in the public, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. It's a great way to clear an aisle out when you got to get through, though. I mean, you're like, oh, i got to get to the milk, and everybody's in the way. They just kind of move out of your way. You're like, hey, this works pretty well. Um, I'm a really nice guy, as long as you don't get in the way of me getting country dairy chocolate milk. So, um, anyway. But if we, if we wipe off the dust of our relationship with Jesus, I don't think we can not stand in his presence and not have our emotional and our, our spirit and our heart be just pulled upon. If you can't talk about Jesus and have some emotional response to them, I think we need to reexamine our hearts and say, have I really given myself to him? Have I really given myself to him and, and not just all like, oh, I love you, you're nice, you're good, but in a, a way of, of complete surrender to him, of complete giving my life to him. His, I, I really believe that, and I have experienced this, his love is so overwhelming, I th- you cannot think about and stand and, exper- and, and experience him and in a tangible way and not be changed by him. If, you, if we can go into his presence, I can't imagine what the high priest, they, that once a year going into the Holy of Holy where the presence of God was, and if you got all messed up before that, they tied a rope to you just to make sure because if you screwed up and weren't repentant for it, they're dragging your butt out of there because you're dead as a doornail. But I can't imagine that what those, those high priests had when the presence of God was resting in that room and they were able to go in before the presence of God. Like that, that's a whole physical experience. But we have the ability to experience that not just so much in a physical way, but in a, in a spiritual way because the Holy Spirit is present with us. You know, I, you think about his love, it's, it, beca- it can become so overwhelming 
that you don't know what to do with it. The, the, if you have never experienced the, the, the um, presence of God to the point where God breaks you down, and I'm not talking in a bad way of like a, a curb stomp to the face. I'm talking, like, I'm talking like your emotions become, no, let me say it this way. You become so aware of his presence, and his presence becomes so strong that you cannot even contain yourself in a somewhat not give me a whole box of Kleenexes and um, I'm going to snot all over my face way. I'm, t- I'm saying if you've never experienced that, if you, c- if you can stand in his presence and not feel that emotion, I think sometimes we have to, you know, we talk about the Apostle Paul and he, it, when he was on his um, on his way to Damascus, the Lord appeared to him. And Paul couldn't see. He's blinded. He's got a bright light in the face. And he says, Lord, he, he knew the presence of God that moment. He wasn't saying, oh, hey, hey, dude, you're blinding me with your, with your flashlight. He's like, he, he knew it wasn't the sun. He said, you know, and when a voice calls out, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you killing the people that I love? And he just instantly, he's on the ground. He just says, Lord. Because he had a moment, and, Paul, and Saul was changed at that moment. The fact that he, he was changed so much that they changed his name. And when Jesus' presence is so tangible that you can't even speak sometimes, it can be, it can be uh, scary for some people because they don't know how to experience God. And I'm not saying everyone's experience is the same. Everyone experiences God in a different way. Sue's experience with God is going to be different than the way I experience God because we are different people. He is going to move in us differently. He's going to work in us differently. But what happens is, is this, is the same heart and emotions and the same spirit behind that is plucking at our heartstrings, saying, hey, I am here. This is my, you are my child. And if we can't, don't get moved by that, we have to say, is my heart so cluttered and, and dirty and covered with scales that I'm not, I'm, I can't experience him? Or did I even know him? Did I even ever experience his love in the first place? Or did I just experience... The, the the fun experience of singing and the emotional part that gets caught up. Because I think sometimes our emotions get caught up in things. You guys ever had emotions get caught up in some things? And then you're like, then when you calm down, you're like, yeah. I was a hot mess. I was kind of a drama queen at that moment. And I just needed to calm down, get my emotions in line. And then I could experience and, and do what I needed to do. But when we start to re-examine our relationship with God, we start to re-examine those areas that might be dusty, that need to be cleaned up, that might be um, shut up. You ever close a room up, you leave it shut, and then you go back in and you're like, how does it get so dirty? Um, when we start to re-examine who God is, you know, his overwhelming kindness, his love, are way too strong to not to want to fall in love with him again. I think we take for granted who he is. We take for granted that his blessings come to us every day. You guys ever woke up in the morning, taking a hot shower, walked out the door, go to work, and then be like, I had a hot shower today. No, you don't think about that. You just do it. And you're, you're, we, but we're not thankful for it. We're just, it's become accustomed to it. I've become accustomed to his ways that I'm just not aware of them. We need to start to readjust and realign our hearts so we are not accustomed to the way that he moves.
the way that he is. I think we need to be familiar with him, but not accustomed to him. We become accustomed to him. It's like, I expect this to be the way it is, and I want it to be the way it is anytime I get up and I do it. If you got up in the morning, you turned the shower on to hot, and then you got in it and it was cold, would you not question who used all the hot water, Layla and Lana? <laughs> Did I say that out loud? Uh, yeah. It's like, we have a hot tub for a reason. If you want a bath, go out in the hot tub. Um, baths are for dogs and little children. Um, yeah. Still for little children and dogs. But anyway, um, but we have to re-examine and say, okay, if that hot shower that I'm expecting comes cold, we're going to start to question it. And I think we need to take what we've known and say, you know what, I need a fresh experience. I need a fresh um, revelation of who he is. And I'm not saying a complete new revelation of who God is, but I think there needs to be a a, a restorative and a refreshing um, moments in our hearts do we understand who God is. Because we become accustomed to his ways, how he does things, and we just expect it. I'm expecting you to do this. I expect you to do this. And that's not always a bad thing. But when it becomes we, we don't have acknowledgement and gratitude when it does happen, we've become accustomed to his way. What needs to happen is when it d- happens and when we see it, we need to have thankfulness and rejoicing in who he is. And I think many times we forget to rejoice in the moments that he takes care of us and to acknowledge when he takes care of us. We just, oh, God did it for me. Yeah, good job. Thanks, God. But I think there needs to be a a, a greater depth of, of appreciation and thankfulness and joy when he does that. You know, you look at David, he was so reliant on God for everything because he's being hunted by Saul, he's being hunted by other people, he's being attacked, his, peop- his families are being kidnapped. And, but he says, you know what, I'll take God over everything else. He still wanted his family. He wasn't like, yeah, God, me and God, and my family can just you know, die. You know, he's like, I need my family, but it's, it's me and God. God is my only sustainer. He's the only one that's going to pull me out of a, a pit of despair. He's going to be the only one to put me, uh, raise me up to a high place. He's going to be the only one that can restore my family and bring my family back from captives. You know, we read these, we read these scriptures and we talk about when David goes after his, um, goes to um, find his kidnapped family. Oh, like David got it back. But we don't understand there was God's hand. We're, we're not talking about, you know, like a two mile radius. We're talking a country. And David has to find his family. And he's not going into, you know, the next neighborhood. He's going in basically into the next country next to him that is not Israelites and it's not Jewish people. And they're going to kill him. And we're like, oh, but David did it. No, God did that. Do not think that God directed David how to restore his family and how to bring his family back from being kidnapped. But David's like, give me God over anything else. Give me Jesus over anything else, and I'll and it will work out. Psalms eighty four ten says, "This better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere." I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I think a lot of times we we say that first part of the verse, and it's a great song back from the early two thousand. Not really, it's not that good of a song though. It's not really good. Um, we can debate this later, but I'll usually be right on that. But, um, uh, but Psalm 84, we read this. Oh, better is one day in the courts than a thousand elsewhere. But David says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the kingdom of God, in his house, than in the tents of the wicked. He, he's saying, I would rather be a servant and a slave to God than to be in, in wealth and in stature in the tents of the wicked. 
He's saying, give me Jesus or over everything else. Um, one of my favorite songs ever is, um, is a song called Lord, You're Beautiful by Keith Green. He died in 1982, so most of you weren't born in 1982. A few of you were. Um, I was two, and, but he says in one, one line of his song, he says, Oh, Lord, please light the fire that once burned bright and clear. Replace the lamp of my first love. And I think we need to, when we become so accustomed to who he is, I think we need to say that to him. Please replace the lamp of my first love and relight that fire. Relight that fire too so I can experience who you are. So that I am not, you know, accustomed to you and callous to you and um, so expecting you to do everything for me that there's a new fresh burning in, inside of my heart for you. One of my favorite lines is from an old song, and it, it's really hard to sing, but it says this, so let us examine all of our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. I think we need to examine us examine our hearts and say, you know, I need to return to God. What area in our life have we said, you know, oh, God, you can have all of this, but this area, I kind of like this area. I'm going to keep it for myself. I'll manage it and because um, I'm really good at doing this and you can manage the rest of my life. So um, let's just do it this way. But it says, examine all of our ways and return our hearts to God. And I think in our life, if we don't start to examine those things, you guys ever woke up and say, where did that come from? Like, all of a sudden, it's just like, where, when did this happen? Or when, how did this happen? And why was I, why was I, when we moved in, we had these pine, our pine trees in our house, and, and they were like, you know, 10, 12 feet tall. And, you know, a couple years ago, I walked out, and like, they're like, 30 feet tall. I'm like, when did this happen? Because we weren't paying attention. I wasn't out there every day going, I think it's growing. But they grow two to three feet a year, and when, in a couple years, you don't realize where they've grown. And I think in our lives, in our relationship with God, if we are not examining it, and I'm not saying you have to sit there and stare and go, got better today. I th but if we don't examine our life with God, we're going to, in five years, ten years, we're going to be like, what, where did, where did this come from? Where did this root of bitterness come from? Where did this root of anger, where did, where did these little foxes catch up on my ankles? And I'm like, but I loved God, and I, I, I followed God, but we didn't examine it. We didn't look at it and say, what is my relationship with him? And I think sometimes it's hard to examine it. And I think we need to go to him and say, I need you to do the examination on this. Because we try to examine and say, oh yeah, it's good, me and God are good. And we, we got that thing that's nagging us in the back of the head and we're like, nope, that's okay, God's okay with that. And he's like, no, I'm not. I need you to change this. I need you to grow in this. I need you to let this go to me. And if we don't, that one little area in the back of our head that's nagging us that we know we need to give to God is going to be those little foxes that trip us up and then we're going to be laying there going, where did this come from? Where did the, the anger go? The, or where did the anger come from? The bitterness, the, the rebellion come from? It's because we didn't let God examine us. You know, I think sometimes we need to look at God and say, okay, hey, I need to have a, a, a very blunt conversation with you and say, what am I doing that doesn't bring praise and glory to you? And that's a hard question to ask, I think, sometimes. Because in our life, we like to micromanage these little compartments in our spirit and say, oh, well, you know, I'm this and I'm this and this is how I, I do things this way. And God's like, I didn't ask you to do it this way. I didn't tell you to do it this way. And God's like, I just need you to listen to what I have to say so that I can guide you in those areas. But we try to micromanage God. We try to get, oh, God, I just, I'm giving you this and I just, I need you to help me with this. And he's like, well, I need you to release your fear to me. I need you to release your stress and your worry and your anxiety and, and your anger to me. 
and he, you're like, but no, I, I, I'm, I'm really good at holding it in for at least an hour until I, you know, until they're gone. And then, you know, I can deal with my anger. No, God's like, I need you to give this to me. I, and that, that examination, that, that face-to-face conversation, you're sitting across the table from God and you're saying, okay, this is what's going on. What do I need to change? What do I need to give to you? And a lot of times we don't want like that conversation. You ever had a conversation with somebody and you never wanted to have that conversation, but you found yourself in that conversation like, how'd you trap me in this one? I, you know, and it's like, how did we have this conversation? But those conversations that you don't want to have usually need to be had. There's conversations in our lives that we have to have with God. Because if we don't have them with God, they're not going to happen with the people around us. And with, when we don't have them with God and that we don't have them with the people around us, that's when things go, when did this happen? Like my kids, I'm like, I was looking at a picture by our fridge, and I'm like, she was two. I'm like, and I'm like, when did this happen? And I'm glad it happened. But at the same time, it's like, when did this happen? It was like a snap. And in our lives, it's the same way. We can, we can go on our relationship with God 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and then we're like, then something like, when did this happen? Because I think we need to have that sit down with God. And we're like, man, that's going to be a rough conversation. I don't really want to have that conversation, but I know I need to have that conversation because he's going to bring up some things that I don't want to deal with. There's some things in my heart that I don't want to deal with and are painful. Um, there's conversations that we need to have with God that we don't want to have with him. Because he's like, he's going to start bringing up that hurt. And you're like, I've pushed it way down inside like all good people do. We take that hurt, put it in a little ball, and shove it way down inside so I don't have to deal with it. And that's how we deal with it. But instead, God's like, I need you to have that conversation with me so you can give me that hurt. You can give me that peace or give me that so you can have peace. But we hold on to hurt. We hold on to anxiety and stress. And we hold on to the, the things that life gives us. And then we're wondering why our relationship with God isn't close. It's because we've taken that in. We've built it up. And then we're wondering why we're getting stuck in the, in the weeds. And we're being tripped up by the weeds. It's because God says, I need to have that conversation with you. Just consider it spring cleaning of your heart. Summer cleaning, whatever. It can be December, it don't matter. Just It's that moment you sit down with God. And sometimes, I don't care if you have to sit on a, at a table and have no one across from you and just have a conversation with God that way. However we need to do it, we need to do that. We need to say, you know what, I need to do this. I don't may not want to do this at this moment, but I know it's beneficial. You ever had those moments where you have to sit down with your kids and talk to them about things? And you're like, this is... It's, it's a struggle sometimes. You're like, I don't know. I don't want to do this, but I know I need to do this because it's beneficial. It's the same way with him. He sits down with us and he says, I don't want to have this conversation, but I know we need to have this conversation because it's beneficial for you. And he, he as good parents, we don't want to have that conversation. We want our kids just to know it. You know, the kids know it all. That you, you should know it all. And but God says, I'm going to sit down with you. I don't want to have this conversation with you because you know what you need to do. But he does sit down with us and he says, you know, what? I love you. And stop holding on to this. Stop holding on to what is causing you to get caught in the weeds. You guys ever walk through the weeds and you get briars that grow, and they don't catch your legs, but they catch your feet. It's those vines when you're walking through the woods, and they trip you up. It's those little little vines that will trip you up. You're looking out for like the briars and the and everything else, trying to get by the you know anything else that's gonna uh, you know sting you or poke you, and you get tripped up by these little little microscopic vines that are just like one or two running across and you're like la 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 you're walking never been hiking all so you catch the your toe on a vine and you're like how did this happen i saw everything in front and it's just just enough to trip you up and but that conversation with god is where he clears that out 
to those weeds, those vines, those things that are going to ensnare us as we're walking are not going to trip us up. We're going to have our moments, don't get me wrong, but we need to have those, that conversation with God because it's that moment when we sit down with God and he's like, yeah, this is what you need to do. And the, the t- moment you release that to him, the moment you give that to him is when he clears that path for you. You know, he t- he's good at tearing down strongholds, but if we're in there defending the stronghold, is when he can't tear it down. He's not going to force you to do anything. He's never going to say, oh, get out of there. We're going we're gonna to take care of this right now. He's not. He's gracious and he's kind. And he says, if you want me to, I will take care of it. Like a good parent. Kids are struggling with something. If you want, I will help you with this. If you want, I will take care of that for you. But what he does is this, is in that moment, he takes care of it. He says, let me show you how to keep that from being there. Let me show you how to walk without having to ensnare you. Let me show you how to have healthy emotions and, and, um, and without having anxiety, without having fear. Let me show you how to have good relationships without having control and without having micromanaging. Let me show you how to walk with me and have a relationship with me without forcing your own ideas of how to have a relationship with God. Having a relationship with God should be a very easy thing. And I believe it is. And when we have that relationship with God and we don't come in with uh, preconceived notions of how we're going to have that relationship, it will flow easily. And that's where God's like, let me show you how to have a relationship without bringing your baggage into that relationship. Let me show you how to walk with me without bringing... um, hurts, pains, anything else into that relationship so that when we're having this relationship, you're not like, well, God's like, I want you to do this and I believe this is going to be beneficial for your life. You're like, you're just trying to control me. Tell me what to do. No one can tell me what to do. Our relationship with God cannot be like that. Our relationship has to be, God's like, I, you need to go this way. This is where you're directing. If our hearts are, are in the right place, we'll say, yes, God. Sometimes it's like, but that's when we say, okay, I'm nervous about going into this. Healthy emotions have to, be, um, have to be part of our relationship with God. He's like, I can fix your unhealthy emotions. I can un- fix your unhealthy um, mindsets. But we have to start to relate to him with how, what he has taught us how to relate to him. It's like, it's like trying to go uh, bear hunting with a fishing pole. Just whack you to death on the head. Stop, stop, stop. That's the way it is. It is when we come to God with unhealthy emotions, it's like trying to go bear hunting with a fishing pole. God's like, okay, let's change some things. Let's rework this and let's try it with this, with this way. Let me show you how to have healthy emotions. Let me show you how to not be afraid. Let me show you how to walk in love. And then we can have a better conversation. So when we go in, we don't go into the conversation like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of badger God and I'm going to push him into what I want him to do. It doesn't work that way. So when we talk to God, when we re- start to re-examine who we are, we just have to say, okay, I'm keeping my hands off on this one. You tell me what you need me to do. What we try to do is we try to go in and it's like, ref- it's like refurbishing a house or refurbishing something. We're like, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And then God's like, no, that's not what I wanted you to do. I don't want your plans, I want my plans. Our, here's the thing is, people are like, well, I got the plans for this and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And God's like, well, what are my plans? And I think many times we go in and say, God, I really need this to happen. I need it to be this way so I can have this and be healthy and this. And God's like, no, let me show you how it's going to be done. Let me show you how to move and work so it'll be healthy. 
But when we re-examine who, who God is, when we start to re-examine who God is, he will start to, to align in our lives and say, you know, hey, this is what's going on. I think so many times we, we if we have to dust off our Bible, there's more dusting in our heart that needs to be done. Because if there's that much dust on the Bible, how, many, how much time have we spent with God? And I'm not saying the only way to spend time with God is the Bible, but it's a start. It's where he, his first line of speaking to us is, is his word. And so when we start to re-examine who he is and our relationship with him, start in his word. When we start in his word, it's going to start to, to speak to us. And we're like, oh, why are we having this conversation right now, God? He's like, because I need you to change this. And I'm going to leave you with this. is When he asks you to change something, it is not because he wants to change to make you change. His change, the, the change that he's asking you to make is for your good. It is not for what he, his ultimate goal of playing chess with you. It is for your good. When he asked us, hey, we're having this conversation right now. What is going on? Why do we? Why are you doing this? What needs to change? This is what needs to change. It is not for him to manipulate and control us. It is for us to operate in freedom. It is for us to experience freedom in a greater way. The more things that we try to control, the less freedom we have. The more things we give to God, the more freedom we have. Because what happens is we spend so much time trying to Oh, I got to do this and I got to juggle this plate and I got six plates going and it all falls apart. And then we wonder why our life and our emotions and our spirit are all messed up. It's because God's like, you weren't meant to juggle plates. You were meant to give it to me and live in freedom and walk without having to worry about everything. So when David is saying, his mercies are new every morning, remember this, his mercies are new every morning. Experience God. How many times are we going and not experiencing his mercies every day? Or not acknowledging that we're experiencing them? We have to look at it and say, what Jeremiah says, he says, my soul continually remembers them and I, I'm about and it is bowed down with me, but this is, I call to mind, therefore I have a hope. Recall who God is. Re-examine who God is, because when we start to re-examine him, he will start to work in our lives, and he's going to sit down and say, hey, probably need to change this, and it's for your benefit and your good. Let's pray.